just about time. It's just about time. Don't you think it's about time? We talked about beer. Okay, this is the part where everybody sings. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. Hey, hey, beer fans. Welcome to a very, very special edition of Experimental Brewing. Live from HomebrewCon 2019 in Providence, Rhode Island. We're here at the Country Malt Brewcraft booth, and we're going to be talking to a bunch of people today. Yep. I'm Drew Beecham. Together, we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Simple Homebrewing, now available at the Homebrew Depot. That's right over there. Go buy a copy. Bring it over here. We'll Go buy a copy, and if you find us, we will sign a copy. And if you can't find us now, we'll sign copies tomorrow at... Two? Eleven. Eleven. Tomorrow <laughs> at eleven. See, there you go. We don't know what we're doing. All right, so now between the two of us, I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. And I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and checking it out. And on today's episode, because we are here in the fine city of Providence, and we're having a great time at this wonderful, lovely conference, we're going to be talking to some of our speakers, some of the exhibitors, and of course some of the attendees of this fine contest and or convention, and getting your feedback. But before we do all that, we're going to take a break here for some music. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Pico Brew, makers of the Zymatic and Pico Brewing Systems. The brewing systems of the future are here now. Discover how easy and rewarding it is to make great beer with Pico Brew. And by Craftmeister and BTF Iodophore. When you absolutely, positively need to make every surface clean, bust out the cleaners with professional power and home brewer safety. Make better beer with better chemistry. Choose Craftmeister. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, who invites you to attend HomebrewCon this June 27th to June 29th in Providence, Rhode Island. HomebrewCon brings 3,000 homebrewers together for three days of brewing, seminars, nighttime events, and camaraderie. HomebrewCon is also the leading showcase of brewing supplies and equipment. Visit homebrewcon.org to learn more. And by you, our listeners, go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you'd like to help support us and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the HA link to join the American Homebrewers Association and receive a subscription to Zymergy Magazine. Part of the proceeds from those go to help support the podcast. Thanks for your support. are back and we have been joined by Gary Glass, the AHA director. So uh, tell us about this year's homebrew con, man. What's new and hip? Well, new, I guess mostly new, is uh, we're in New England. Yeah, first really. First time in 28 years. Uh, so it's, it's taken us way too long to get back here. Uh, and uh, But it is the first time we've ever been in Providence. 
Well, and what has changed, do you think, since the time we were in Manchester to the time that we're now here? Uh, well, we went from a few hundred attendees to 2,500 attendees, so that would be one thing that's changed. <laughs> yeah, really, that's a big change. Uh, gone from basically no expo to giant expo hall with over 70 exhibitors. Man, really, the expo is really killer. This it's year. it's amazing, and you know, getting to see all the all, all the new products. Like this is, this is one of my favorite things about HomebrewCon is all the exhibitors bring out all their new cool stuff. And uh, well, I haven't even had a chance to get that far into the expo hall because I've been so busy. But even just this small little slice, like I'm noticing all sorts of new brew systems, new toys. There's actually now three people with canning machines here, so this is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, so it's just kind of uh, rad to see. And, of course, there's always a giant line for hops that our good <laughs> friends eat Yakima Chief hops. Right. And But it, it is amazing. Yeah. So, and now, but also, I mean, we have, I mean, is this the conference with the most number of seminars? Or is it, uh, it's right up there, right? Yeah. I, 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 we've, we've been around uh, 60, between 60 and 70 for the last couple of years. But, yeah, I mean, we're, we do six simultaneous tracks. That's, uh, thankfully, is, we record them all because obviously you can't get to them right. all when there's six simultaneous. But and even today, I was I was outside the basic water talk, and that was so populated that they actually had to close the room and nobody else was allowed in. So it was kind of amazing. Wow, really? So good thing there's recording. Yeah. So how about the competition this year? How many entries did we have? Uh, we had about 9,200 entries, so set a new record. Wow. For the, for the competition, uh, yeah, we, we added a 13-judge center this year, uh, added another category, so 34 categories, which meant we had uh, around 1,300 entries that were eligible for the final round this year. That's amazing. To be judged in one day. Yeah, and how many judges do we have? Over 200. That's remarkable, and thank you, judges, man. <laughs> yeah, judges and stewards. Uh, oh, yeah, and, right. And, and we have an awesome competition staff that, that we bring back every year after year that makes that possible. Yeah, yeah, it's and, an amazing. Let's, my work. let's give some love to the cellar crew too, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have a yeah. I'm, a, I'm an honorary cellar crew member. <laughs> that, uh, well, yeah, those guys bust their butts. Yeah, yeah really. You know, we, we every year, uh, the last several years, we're getting over a thousand kegs of homebrew for this event, uh, and uh, and. and Beyond that, all the all the donated commercial commercial beer, uh, and then you know, all the beer and you know, kimchi and things like that <laughs> yeah. that get served during the during the seminars. Uh, they do an amazing job of getting everything where it's supposed to be, when it's supposed to be, and, and, and then a team of volunteers that that, that are conference attendees that, that want to help out and you know, help get that beer out to the people in the seminars. Right. And, of course, tonight is club night, which is kind of like everybody's favorite night of the whole thing, I think. Right, yeah. I mean, the, the club night is really the, I don't know, the, the, kind of the peak of the, of, of the event. It's, it's so hard to describe. You can describe it, but it doesn't come close to the actual experience. It, it's kind of like the soul of the event, you know? Yeah, but, that's but, a good way of putting it. Yeah, I mean... So how many clubs do we have serving this year? Uh, we've got 60 clubs that are oh, to, to serve. I mean, it's just, yeah, astounding, huh? Well, I think Quoth wins the distance award this year, 15 kegs all the way across the country. Yeah. <laughs> that that's, is remarkable. That's dedication. 
San Diego to Providence. Let it, let it be known, it can be done. So, actually, speaking of Providence, have you had a chance to get out into the city? A little bit. And what have you been enjoying? <laughs> Beer. <laughs> and uh, seafood, of course. Uh, yeah. Of course. Coming, coming from Colorado, I guess. I think I've eaten fish at almost every meal. You don't have a lot of beach access in Colorado. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, no, I did get to the beach. Uh, I've got, I've, I've actually got a lot of family in, in New England. Uh, uh, my father-in-law lives in uh, North Shore, Massachusetts, so we went, came in early and got got out to the beach. Before oh, cool! We, we came down to Providence. That's great, man. All right. Well, and now, of course. This is this year's conference, and we're having we're having a lot of fun. And of course, it feels like it's running way too fast. Yeah. I'm like looking around. Wait, tomorrow's the last day. What? Um, but we have we have to look forward. Where are we going? We are going to Nashville, Music City. That's next year. great, man. And we're going to be doing the conference at the Grand Ole Opry, right? <laughs> right next to the Grand Ole Opry. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, yeah. we'll be at the, the Gaylord Opryland. Uh, yeah, which is a, which is an awesome venue because you know they, I mean, you guys have been coming to this event for a long yeah. time, so you remember back in the days when we were everybody was in one hotel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is this is a hotel convention center that has enough hotel rooms for everybody. That so is killer. Everybody I, in one place. You don't have to you don't have to walk anywhere. You don't have to. I was uh, I was just reminiscing the other day about like how I think maybe it was like Denver was the last time we were able to do that. And, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, and it's it is a crazy cool venue. If you've ever been there, uh, there's a river inside the building, <laughs> and we'll be doing club night Riverside. Oh my God! <laughs> that, that, that is either a fantastic idea or a lawsuit waiting to happen. <laughs> well, we can't decide which. So every attendee will get a life vest. You bring me down, man. <laughs> That's my job. But and, and now the other thing I'm also thinking is how many Nashville hot chicken uh, themed beers are we going to have? I mean, well, we'll have yours. Probably Annie's. <laughs> That's yeah, right. Annie, sure. yeah, Annie makes a chicken beer. Maybe she's making a hot chicken beer next year. Well, and what else do we have to look forward to in Nashville? Um, well, you know, we're still in, in the early stages of the of the process, but uh, you know, we're, we're going to be working on putting together some brewery tours. Uh, we want to take on uh, uh, doing, doing some organizing buses mm-hmm. to go around because there, there's so many really great breweries mm-hmm. in and around Nashville. Right. Um, you know, I think a lot of people probably aren't as familiar with uh, with those breweries as they probably should be. Right. Uh, there, there's some some really really awesome beers coming out of Nashville. Well, and I, I was impressed even this year that there was so much pre-con activity where. You know, people were obviously running up to like places like Trillium and Treehouse, and got to get those cans, those magic cans. But also, like even Boston Beer Company was putting together a big set of special tours for people, and people were making that journey. Yeah. Because it turns out people always forget Massachusetts might be another state away from Rhode Island, but it's a New England state. They're all tiny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boston's what 40 minutes away from from yeah. Providence. Exactly. I, I know. I think a lot of people from out of town probably didn't realize just how close it is. Uh, and, and Sam Adams has always been a big supporter of, of the American Homebrewers Association. This band, their sponsors here, so I, I'm not surprised that they, they pulled out the red carpet for, for the Homebrewers coming in from out of town. Yeah, I, I heard a lot of really great things. Unfortunately, we had to work. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's the only problem with working these things. You, you never get to. I can't remember the last time I saw a seminar live. Yeah. But basically, uh, I just want to say to all you guys listening out there, if you are not an AH mem- AHA member, you need to be, and you need to get here to this thing. Because if you're into beer, you're into homebrewing. This is like the pinnacle, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you said, you know, there's, there's nothing else like it. You know, what's, what really is great about this is, you know, you get 2,500 homebrewers together. It's like, and, and I mean, I know you guys have met, met people here this event that, you see year after year, just oh. at this event, but, you know, there's some of your best friends, right? You oh, know? yeah. I mean, that's, that's the awesome thing about, about HumbrewCon is bringing, bringing Humbrewers together. I mean, we Danny, we were just talking to, to Magnus from, yeah. from Sweden. From Sweden, yeah, exactly. this conference. Well, I, I always tell people that if you like to nerd out about homebrewing, if you like to drink, this is probably the best time that you can probably ever do because it's three days of you being able to talk homebrew to your heart's content without anybody giving you that glazed-eyed look that happens. <laughs> you know, when, when you start talking homebrew to, to all your friends, or like my co-workers who have me on a restriction, I'm only allowed to talk beer once a day. Yeah, that's hard to back. Wow, are you able to comply with that? Hell no. <laughs> no way. Well, Gary, thanks so much for joining us here today, man. We'll let you get back to heavy drinking. Uh. Or heavy working. <laughs> Probably more of the latter. But. Yeah, a little bit of both. Uh, well, thanks, man. You're a great host for this big party. Oh, well, hey, I, I so appreciate it and, and always enjoy uh, coming on to the show with you. Uh, and we enjoy having you here and just seeing you in general, man. Yeah, right thanks. on. Thanks Likewise. a lot. Cheers. Okay, so if we can get Alex over here. Here he comes. He's ready. Well, he, Alex has a really long distance to travel from the Yakima Chief booth over here. That's right, yeah. We're, uh, we're right across the aisle from the Yakima Chief Ops booth, and uh, we're going to be talking to Alex Rumbles, who uh, you like the social media director or something oh, like yeah, that? Oh, yeah, I do. Um, communications and outreach is kind of in the big scheme of things. Okay. Um, but, it, but social media is a facet of that, along with you know, events and PR. Cool. And I uh, I met Alex last year when I uh, was at Hoffman Briscoe, maybe a couple of years ago. I, yeah. I, I can't remember I exactly. Was, I think it was in July or August. Yeah. Year. Right. Uh, Hoffman Briscoe is a wonderful event, and it's coming up again in August, right? Yes. starts um, this year. It, it's big news because we've actually extended the number of days for Hoffman Briscoe, um, and we've decided to integrate home brewers and commercial brewers all at mm-hmm. once. So we're expecting about 300 attendees in wow. this session, which is uh, bigger than it's ever been. Uh, and it's going to bridge Labor Day weekend, which was um, by request, surprisingly. People um, like to you know get out of town for Labor Day weekend, and in this case, they're coming to Hop Country. So we're excited. <laughs> That's great, man. And it's, it runs for four days this year? Yeah. Well, it starts the, um, August 30th. And then we do Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and um, everyone usually takes off Tuesday. Right. And I'll tell you, man, it starts off with one of my favorite parties I ever go to at Bellbreaker Brewing. Yeah. It's amazing beer and such a gorgeous location. It is. It's it's right in the center of a hop field, and it's um, we take a lot of pride in Bellbreaker. It's usually a place where you take you take newcomers to get Yeah, right. Kind of show them around and show them what we're all about. So. Cool. So uh, let's talk about what's new and hip at uh, Yakima Chief these days. Yeah. Right, other than the line that you guys constantly have going for hop samples. Yes, that was a big line right when they opened the doors today. I think it went from one side of the 
conference to the other, and they're just wanting samples. So that's a great place to be. Yeah. Um, we're really happy about it. And I, this I, is, I've, I've kept teasing people. like, do you guys even know what you're standing in line for? And they're like, I don't know. I don't, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Either that or they're really like, yes, I'm getting an Idaho 7 trial. You know, you never know. Um, this is our first time um, with this new brand and this large of a footprint at HomebrewCon. And um, there's meaning behind it. And... Um, it's really big news for us, and it's that we've um, launched our um, e-commerce portal online. So now home brewers, all the way up to commercial brewers, can now place orders for hops online um, purchase from Yakko Chief, which is a big step for the, for us, um, and it's a new space. So we're excited, and that goes along with a mobile app that yeah. is going to be um, a good resource for home brewers. Yeah, I got a chance to take a look at that mobile app this morning. That is very hip, and... That, that goes a long way to replacing all the hop variety books that you put out, right? Yeah, the hop variety book is one of, is if not the most um, sought-after item <laughs> that we've um, produced over the last few years. And we sell it uh, $15, and they fly like hotcakes because right. everyone wants all of, the, all of the information in the palm of their hand. I had a brewer email me um, a couple months ago. He says, I just need one of these on, sitting on my toilet bowl so that I can read it while I'm going to the bathroom. And I was like, hey, dude, whatever you want to do. Too much information. Too much, but now everyone's on their phone. So we are moving everything from the book into a digital app. So we, uh, so now if you go to the um, Apple Store um, or Google Play, you can download the Acme Chief Hops app. Um, you'll have access to all variety of information, just like you would in the book. Right. It's the most current information possible, um, which is great because when people have the books, they sometimes can go out of date rather quickly. Right. Yeah, with new crop years and new varieties that come out. So this um, is updated um, frequently, and it was designed by our brilliant, um, innovative IT team um, and expedited for this specific event, so that we can get everyone on their devices brewing and getting all their resources um, through that. Not to mention it links to our shop uh, our shop site to purchase hops um, for homebrewers and uh, brewing calculators and lot lookups and things. I, I sense synergy there. The commerce tied in. Yeah, That's there cool. you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's really cool, man. I've been taking a look at it this morning and it has a lot of really good info about hops. And the fact that you can be looking at the info for a hop and immediately jump over and order some is great. Yes, it, that's great. Right now, um, home brewers can purchase um, one ounce cryo hops, two ounces of uh, of other varieties, two ounces of T90. And um, if they want anything larger right now, we um, have a strong partnership with Country Mall Group and LD Carlson, and they are... Um, uh, are approved distributors to purchase anything from one pounders or up. So this right. is um yeah this is just the start of it. Yeah, because I've heard from a lot of home brewers who said that man I'd love to order some hops but it's hardly worth it for an ounce. If I could get a one pound bag, that would be the thing. So. Yes, that's that's coming down the pipeline. Hopefully within the next uh, few months or so we can start to integrate one pounders. They're they're in high demand. You know, and I'm really happy to see you guys making this stuff so easily available to home brewers. You know because. Yeah. It's like I've, I've been lucky enough to be getting hops directly from you and using them for quite a while, but that's not true for everybody. Right. Well, one of the biggest um, assets of this um, new platform is that those who don't have a homebrew shop or anything in the area that can provide brewing resources, they can order through this. So this isn't to replace a homebrew shop. We think there's a lot of value in homebrew shops, actually. So we definitely want everyone to continue to frequent that's right. Yeah. But but if you're if you don't have 
you don't have one nearby, then come to us online. Well, and also not every homebrew shop is going to carry every hop. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's also good for you to be able to fill in that gap. Yeah. If you go and you're looking for Simcoe and you can't find it, you can get Simcoe on our website directly. And it's free shipping, so that's... Ooh, that's free point. shipping! Free is awesome. <laughs> yeah, really, man. Free is a homebrewer's favorite price. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about American Nobles, because that's something that we've been working with for a while, but a lot of people aren't really familiar yeah, with. Every time we talk about this, I feel like people are going, dude, yeah, you guys keep talking about it, but how do we get our hands on it? Oh, good. Well, that's a good place to be in. There's, It's in high demand right now, and if, for those of you who don't know... Um, American Noble is a product that we um, created for brewers who like um, beers on the lighter side. They like to brew with Pilsners. They like to brew with Saisons. And they can get the proprietary varieties like Citra and Sabro and Simcoe. And they can um, they can brew with just the, the bitter leaf portion. Right. Which, Denny, I mean, you're, you're the pro. What is your experience so far with it? My experience is that they are a really unique and useful variation on, on hop pellets. Um, you know, the, you get you get a perception of bitterness from the tannins because there's vegetal matter there, but after a little bit of cold conditioning, those tannins drop out. You still get the bitterness perception, but you're left with these really subtle, beautiful flavors, and you know. Um, I, I really like them, and it, it took me a while to really grok how to use them. And once I did, it's like those are my now go-to hops for anything that, you know, like lager, light lagers, yep. that kind of thing. Anything where I want a reduced bitterness but still get some hop flavor out yes, of them. Yes, that, that's the goal. It's it's low alpha because we're not. Um, it's not the concentrated lupulin product of cryo hops. It's it's right. the sister essentially. So um, the flip side. it's the flip side. So um, uh, De Bitter Leaf, now known as Amer- American Noble, um, will be available soon to um, brewers of all sizes. It's it's uh, it, it's a process and it's an army trying to get this out to all brewers, <laughs> and um, especially when we're just waiting for this next crop year. So. Yeah. Well, and I was gonna say last year when you guys had samples of the American Nobles here, you also had recipe cards from Denny and I. Where you had Denny's American Mild, and then you had my Cream Ale yes. that I make with the Debitter Laurel, as well as my Laurel Canyon Saison. Oh yes, I have that recipe. I have actually have all of your guys' recipes saved in, on the desktop of my computer because people ask for them frequently. Oh great! Yes. Yeah, so and they'll ask for advice. They'll ask um, for alternatives and suggestions. So they use those as good resources. So. Cool, cool. Yeah, I would, and again, I would encourage all you homebrewers out there to keep your eyes open for these American nobles. Give them a shot. Uh, if you need any advice about uh, what to do with them, how to use them, shoot me an email, and I'll be happy to give you uh, the benefit of my experience. Yeah, you and I believe Annie uh, Annie Johnson from Pico Brew will be speaking on American Noble Hops uh, this year's Hop Brew School. That's right. That's right. Uh, we're really looking forward to it. Drew is actually coming for the first yes. time. Uh, We'll be recording a, a version of the podcast there at Hop and Brew School. It's man, it's just one of my favorite experiences ever since the first time I went. Oh my goodness, someone is setting beer down in front of us. Well, oh, that's that's well, not just any beer, but uh, Bill's Bourbon Barrel Expedition Stout. So they're big heavyweight stout aged in a bourbon barrel. Ah, uh, well, thank can't you, say Fred. No to that. Thank you. Pass that down. Thank you. So anyway, back to back to Hop and Brew School. If you have not been, you need to go. I went there for the first time five or six years ago, and immediately told myself I can never miss it. 
yes, the best thing about it is that you get to uh, you get to see the process from propagation to height. So we start you at our breeding program on the farm, um, walking the fields with the growers, picking yeah. the fresh hops. Um, it's 100 degree weather, but it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and you move right into the kilns. And you move into all of the picking machines, and then eventually we move you into our pelleting facilities, um, extract, right. um, our shipping warehouses, and you hear some great talks from some amazing brewers and growers. And growers. That's what is always fascinating to me is hearing the growers talk about what they go through, uh, the, the growers panel that goes on, you know, it's that kind of thing. Well, I still like the story that we got about the whole Columbus Tomahawk Zeus thing out of there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. That was great, man. It was nice of Steve to let us use that. Oh, yeah. I think, what was it, like someone sued someone for someone? Yeah, there's multiple lawsuits of theft and (laughs) spy rings and it's hop wars. Yeah, Yeah, but it's it's really interesting because, you know, there's always a debate in the homebrew world about, you know, are they the same hop or not, you know. And so it's it's nice to get people some information about that. And and that's just like one of the many fascinating hop facts you can get at hop and Yeah, you know, I feel like we could make our own um, hop variety book of just the fun facts about different varieties. <laughs> Probably so. So maybe maybe that's an idea for the major. The, the hop storybook. There you go. Yep. <laughs> really, really. Okay, Alex. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No, thank you. If you are interested in going to Hop and Brew School um, and you happen to be here in the conference, you can enter to win two tickets right here at our booth. Um, otherwise, you can check out our website, yakmachief.com slash events, and you can um, register right there for Hop and Brew School. And it's a great time. We hope to see everyone there. It, it's a great time. Yakima is a cool town, and evenings at the sports center are like yes. one of the highlights of my life. I was going to say, it, it seems like even if you don't like hops, you want to go to Yakima so you can go to Bailbreaker, so you can go to the sports center, and was it Manny's Tacos? Is that the, what's the little truck? Oh, oh, oh yeah. I don't know the taco it, truck. It's one Brian took me to the last time I was up Well, I know that Sports Center is preparing for you guys because they've re- undergone refurbishments and they are they know that they are the place to be in Yakima. As someone from Yakima Valley, I just think of Sports Center and Bailbreaker as just like normal hangouts, but at that that's a point of destination for some reason. Uh, man, I, I love Sports Center so much that I make it a point to be there within 10 minutes of every time I hit town. There you go. They have good beer as well. They, oh, man, they do. It's the world's <laughs> coolest dive bar. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right, Alex. Thanks again for Thank being you guys. with us. We'll see you soon. Hey, All right. you, you got to go uh, go back to slinging some more of those hops, including the new uh, Cluster Fugget blend. Yes, that is our newest blend. I won't I won't go into it if we are against it. No, 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 no. Go ahead and talk about Cluster Fugget. <laughs> so um, I know that um, our CEO, Mike Gettle, and Steve Carpenter stepped away, but they were having lunch and probably a few beers, and they decided that they wanted to do a blend of a, that was a mix of um, Cluster, Fuggle, and Nugget, and um, somehow um, Cluster Fugget popped out of their mouth, and the next thing you know, we have the blend, and it's here at HomebrewCon, only for homebrewers, and they can also buy it online as well. So cool. it, it sounds like, I mean, it's three classic American hops, like really old school American yeah. hops. Yeah. So it would be really fun to play with. I, I know I'm going to make a cream ale with, with some of it because you have to. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, it just it, it really kind of feels interesting to see 
kind of an old school throwback. Yes. As opposed to and the Fuggle, the Fuggles come from uh, the UK, and then the other two are in the Northwest. So it's, it's Denny's favorite hop. Uh, you know what? Fuggle is one of those hops. That actually, Gary Glass and I have formed the Fuggle Haters Club. <laughs> but I'm really looking forward to trying it in combination with the the Nugget and Cluster. Yeah. I'm big fans of, of both of those. Yeah, it's it's just a fun thing. Sometimes we we don't like to take ourselves too seriously, and um, we know homebrewers can make uh, a really mean IPA with it. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I'll uh, I'll do my best. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right, Alex. Thanks a lot. Okay, we're going to take a break here, play some music, and we'll be back in just a minute. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the work to cool enough to add Whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super-fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your word in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art. They're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned global hop supplier located in the Pacific Northwest with a mission to connect family hop farms to the world's finest brewers. Yakima Chief's cryo hops represent the most innovative technology in hop processing, using a patent-pending cryogenic separation process which preserves the components of each hop fraction. Cryo hops pellets provide intense hop flavor and aroma, reduced vegetal flavors, and increased yield. Available now to commercial and home brewers. Learn more at yakimachief.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the show. Denny is uh, busy being a producer. <coughs> I am sitting here with two fine gentlemen. We're all squeezed in at a table, and I have beer. So, gentlemen, introduce yourselves, and what the hell am I pouring? Hi, my name is Graciani Miranda. I am from Claremont, Florida, VP of Bruce Anonymous, homebrew club from Orlando, and um, I brought a Wee Heavy that I brewed back in January um, that happened to make it to the, make it to the final seat. Um, at NHC 2019. It's based on a recipe from your book, um, Homebrew Ulcers. Mm-hmm. And um, the recipe comes from um, my friend Fred here, and I would love to get his opinion on it. So. All right, and Fred, introduce yourself. This is Fred Bonjour, and I'm enjoying uh, myself. I just uh, spent my last uh, nine years on the governing committee for the first time I'm off of it. And this is going to be very interesting. I, I get a chance to sample someone else's make of a brew that uh, Denny put it in his All-Stars book. So 
Well, and just to lay the groundwork, I mean, uh, Fred, you're famous for uh, having an odd definition of what a session beer is, shall we say. You know, if it's a uh, session beer, is anything that's under 100. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, and so why don't you tell us the story of the Wee Heavy? We'll taste this, and then we can talk about what you did differently in Garciana. And well, the Wee Heavy is a beer that uh, I actually called it, you know, th- this one was based off of a beer called Kilt Lifter, which was, uh, I called it a Scottish wedding ale for my son's wedding. So I actually brewed it for his wedding. And, you know, one of the things that was interesting was that uh, at the wedding, I was warning people, I had a big warning mm-hmm. that uh, this is a tad big, guys. I mean, it's uh, uh, 31 proof. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big be, beast. Yeah, be so, careful. So you're know? talking and, like over 15%. Yeah. And so the kids, you know, were telling their dads, Dad, uh, this is not like the beer you're used to drinking. And so they would uh, get the beer, and they would take a bottle, drink the whole bottle. No problem. Then they'd get up and try and walk. <laughs> All right. And so, Garcia, what drew, drew you to this beer? Well, um, I believe that if I'm going to spend money in ingredients and two or three weeks in making a beer, it has to be at least 7.5%. <laughs> so, um, a man after my own heart. <laughs> so, yeah, when I read the book and I saw the recipe, um, I knew I had to brew it. Mine didn't come out of 15, it came out of 13.1%. That was oh, you're undershot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fred, how do you feel about him undershooting the 15%? Oh, I don't mind at all. I mean, when you're brewing a big beer, one of the things you have to do is take what the beer gives you. I mean, you know, wherever you end up is where you're going to go, and it, the beer's going to choose for you where it's going to finish. That's a really good philosophy, Fred. I, need, I wish more people would uh, learn to think like that. I mean, you know, and it varies. And, you know, the bigger the beer, the, I hate to say it, but more of a crapshoot what your final gravity is actually going to be and what your ABV is going to be. You, you take it. Yeah, you, you do the best you can, and then you wait and see what happens. So, Graciana, how, how big was the, the, the initial gravity on, the, on yours? I think mine came out um, 1133. 1133. And then where'd you end up on your final gravity? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm maybe fine on that one. But uh, did you brew this specifically to enter in a competition, or did it just oh, turn no, out no, so no. good you wanted to enter it? No, I mean, yeah, it turned out that good that um, I already won like four, three gold, one silver, and NAC finals with it, so it's a good recipe. And, and Fred, what, what, was the, what was the basis for the design for you, like when you were making this? Uh, the uh, Scottish Ale book from the Brewers Association. I looked and I found a historical one. They had a rather high final gravity, you know, very rich, you know, full body, you know, strong Scotch ale. And that was, you know, the basis that I used to put it together. And I do something with it that is controversial to say the least is I will add a little bit of Rauchmalt. How much I add depends on uh, how fresh I find the Rauchmalt to be. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking... If I've got some old stuff and I want to get a little bit in, I'm talking about uh, up to four ounces, but I put in as little as a half ounce, and that goes with a grain bill that's pushing 30 pounds Wow! on a five-gallon batch. And, and how, how much did you put in, Graciela? I, I followed the recipe to the T, mm-hmm. but I have a 20-gallon SS Brutec Maxon, so I can probably do two of these at a time, so it was, it was fine. It was fine. 
Good. All right, now, so let's taste the beer. Let's uh, let's describe what we're getting here because I mean, taste the, the beer. Mine's half gone. Well, I'm saying <laughs> taste the beer on the microphones, man. You know, work the magic of the system. So I'm. I forget, this was you had the sip uh, BYO. Any of you guys out there want to try a you sip? You had it at BYO. He was yeah. not cocked up. You want to try a sip of the beer? I don't. Condition. I don't have any infectious diseases. Did not make it. Oh, that's all it took for Jared. All right. Well, to me, like I'm getting just this big caramel malt bomb. Yes. Uh, yeah. Very much. Uh, it's got all. It's got all this body and depth and and. I don't. I don't have a better way of putting it other than chewiness. And, I mean, it's like almost got a little bit of cherry character to it. I mean, it's just there's a lot going on here. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, the final gravity, you know, is definitely usually up there. Yeah. To see uh, a 10:30, 10:40 final is not uncommon. Yeah. And and did you did you find out what your final gravity was? <laughs> I think it wasn't that high. I think it was in the 10, 26, 20. This, this seems a little bit drier than mine, so yeah, that'd be about right. Yeah, and it, and it does have, I mean, it comes in, that back end is all booze, right? It's a booze on a little bit of hop, and then you get, it's, it's almost going along with your cherry idea, a little bit of that, that sour fruit, and that, and that sour fruit at the very finish, I think, gets you ready into the next sip. Or am I completely insane? Well, yes, but that doesn't have anything to do with beer. There you go. And meanwhile, we're pouring out little samples of this for uh, people out there in the audience who want to go ahead and try Oh, they're going to hate it. You, yeah. you should save it for me. Yeah. You, got, you guys are going to think this beer just absolutely sucks, I'm sure. All right. So anybody out there in the audience want to give us an opinion? What, do you, what are you getting? I have a microphone. You have opinions. There's a slight prune quality to it in a good way. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the malt flowery flavor at the end compares perfectly with the malt. You know? I definitely say that I think it's a, a beer that dreamed of being a port. Ah, that's a really interesting observation, Jared. That was Jared from Country Mall Group there coming in as a poet at the very end. <laughs> so, what I assume you're going to rebrew this. Yes. So what would you what would you want to do differently? The only thing that I would change is um, the only criticism I've gotten from several judges is that it, it, it's a bit too bitter at the end. A bit too bitter? Okay. Yeah, I believe the original recipe calls for two ounces at 60. I don't, yeah, I don't get this as being too bitter, you know, uh, personally. Uh, you know, obviously that depends on, on this because when you're talking, you know, only a couple ounces of hops and English hops at that with a 30 pound grain bill at five gallons that's about as low as you get mm-hmm. well and and to me i'm i'm not uh, i i have a problem i think with a lot of beer judging where when you're doing the beer judging in these competitions what people want to see is sort of the the uber version of everything yeah and 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 it taken to extremes so if it's a scottish ale they want it to be all about the malt with none of the hop presence to me and to my mind, I actually like having that little bit of hot bite in the, in the finish because I think without it, you don't get to the place where you can actually drink more than a couple of sips of this. The other thing you're getting that uh, I, I've had some people mistake for hops is a little bit of the alcohol bite mm-hmm. that's in there when you get into a high, you know, gravity beer. And without realizing, you know, fully what they're tasting, that's an issue. Because if you look at a competition... 
the judge is not told this is a 13% beer. And if you were to enter it essentially as a uh, as an experimental batch where you can tell the judge this is a 13% beer, mm-hmm. that changes the perception of it in a whole different way. But you can't do that in a competition. And I've had that problem several times. <laughs> so, Graziana, for you, I mean, you yeah. said that you would change the hop character because you're Well, I was about thinking of just doing first word hopping, right. supposedly rounds up the bitterness right so that was the only thing i wouldn't change anything else in my life. i'm really happy with it right because it sounds like you've got that that debate there of do i make the judges happier or uh, do i make or do i make myself happier yeah no i don't brew to compete that's secondary so that's fine there you go well denny any other comments that you have about the beer I was just going to uh, mention that this like made it to the final round here, and it's being judged, and tomorrow we'll find out if it's an award winner. Well, by this point in time, it's already been judged. That's right. The, exactly. the results are in the books. We just don't know what they are. <laughs> are you nervous? A little bit. A little bit. A little bit? Don't worry. I think you've got a hell of a beer here, man. Yeah, you know, man, if, if, it, if, it, doesn't, uh, if it doesn't meddle here, don't worry about it, because you've got a delicious beer for yourself. Now, Fred, you said earlier it was going to be a little weird for you to taste something. You said uh, a little bit earlier that it's going to be weird for you to taste a beer of yours made by somebody else. Oh, that, that's absolutely thrilling to, you know, see that happen because I was responsible and, uh, you know, uh, you guys were generous enough to ask me to contribute recipes into your book, and I thought that was awesome. See, there you go. And now and now you've had the, the experience of seeing yeah. when your creations come back. And, you know, the fact that, you know, uh, you, you look at this name tag here, it says NHC finalist. That says <laughs> the beer is definitely worth something. Yeah, definitely so. I mean, I mean, and as we all know, there's two aspects to any beer. There's the recipe, and then there's the execution of that recipe. Absolutely. So, so basically, you guys are a team on this beer. Go team big. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else that we should talk about with the beer? Uh, any other tips you want to give about like getting something into the NHC finals? <laughs> Go yeah, on. Don't 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 do IPAs for the NHC. <laughs> don't do IPAs for the NHC. <laughs> I Probably think that's a smart. Point. Yeah, man, that's good advice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, granted, we sponsored the IPA category. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, yeah, I think your best shot of trying to win a medal is not going to be by doing IPA. Yeah, yeah. I made it to the no. finals last year with an IPA. I put it five times. And um, it was never as good as the first time. So, oh. Isn't that yeah. the way it is, man? I, I've discovered that if I enter, it's a beer that I just am drinking and go, oh, this is so good, I've got to enter it. Every time I try and brew one for a competition, it doesn't turn out as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, th- this is also the reason why I try not to brew the same beer more than once. That way I never <laughs> have to be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, you can just be disappointed once. Exactly. <laughs> Trust me, my life is a disappointment. I'm used to it. Uh, really? All right, well, gentlemen, anything else for the for the audience? Thank you so much for bringing us this beer. No problem. And thanks for it's your time good joining thing. us. All I can say is, you know, with big beers, you got to take what it gives you. Um, frequently with big beers, I'm sure that many of the people out there that try them have a problem with the uh, fermentation appearing to stall out. A big problem that a lot of people have is they say they're going to repitch. Repitch is not correct. That's not enough yeast. To, when you do this after a stalled ferment, you've got to put in a full working population of yeast. 
which mm-hmm. to me in a five-gallon batch is you get a growler full of a neutral ale yeast, you know, from a local uh, brew pub, and you dump the whole thick slurry in. I mean, so that's a lot of yeast. You don't want to get growth. You know, anytime you're talking pitching, mm-hmm. you're talking about getting the, ch- the yeast the chance to grow to the population you need. You're already at that point. Your flavor characteristics are already established by your initial fermentation. So you go with a uh, neutral yeast and a lot of it if you end up, you know, having a stuck ferment. And that's one of the keys to uh, covering a big beer. Yeah, I never doubt the usefulness of having a local brewery and a free pitch of yeast. Well, that certainly helps. I've been known to use a yeast cake. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, that's one of our the continuous piece of advice. So, so Graziani, what did you do for yeast on this? <laughs> I did a four or five liter starter. Four or five liter starter? Wow. I lost about one and a half gallons in the blow-off. It was pretty <laughs> insane. <laughs> so obviously the yeast was happy. Oh, yeah. yeah. I liked it. Cool, man. All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We really appreciate it. And Graziani, this beer just rocks, man. Yes. Thank you, th- thank you for keeping us hydrated <laughs> thank you so much hydrated. for having us <laughs> all right thank you. okay and, and guys remember this is actually one of the one of my favorite things about the homebrew community and putting things out there you know when you put a recipe out there when you tell your story you find it reflected back to you in some very interesting ways sometimes so I, like i love the experience i'll walk around club night and i go i know that recipe i made that recipe and it's just always really really awesome but i'm telling you if you put stuff out there You'll watch it come back to you in some very interesting fashions. So thank you so much for doing that, guys. All right. Thanks, guys. We're going to play just a touch of music here and bring our good buddy Jonathan Netley up to talk about what's going on at Craftmeister. We're going to be right back. Are you having trouble finding enough time to homebrew and give attention to the other important things in your life? Is your newest brewed IPA experiment coming at the expense of other obligations? Don't neglect partner or pet. Brew with the Genesis Fermenter. Learn why at genesisfermenter.com and find them wherever Brewcraft USA products are sold. The Wild Rustic Spring Private Collection from Y-East offers a selection of yeast and bacteria cultures characteristic of Belgian and sour styles to pair with the new season. 3725 Beer de Garde, 3031 Saison Brett Blend, and 5223 Lactobacillus Brevis are available April through June at your local homebrew shop, exclusively from our private culture collection. These are the strains that exemplify the beers of Europe in Saison, Lambic Styles, Goes, Brett Beers, and more. And now you can use them to create world-class beers worldwide. No matter the direction you take these wild rustic cultures, they'll become your new tradition. Find out more about which styles pair best with this release at yeastlab.com.
we're back. Thank you so much for sticking around. We have been joined by our dear friend Jonathan Etley from Craftmeister. Craftmeister makes our favorite cleaners. Their uh, oxygen brewery wash is amazing, and the alkaline is just beyond belief. I, man, I use that stuff. When I'm like when I'm out in my garage, I can use cold water and the alkaline, and it cleans amazing. That's right, Denny. Yeah, I'm happy to make your life a little easier. So. <laughs> it's always nice. Yeah, and and it's nice to have it on him because I I know even the the grungiest of kegs or carboys. I had a carboy like a little three gallon carboy that for reasons that I should not talk about ended up not being cleaned for a very, very long time. It had an airlock on it, and the airlock never ran dry, so everything was still nice and liquid inside. Well, at least you got that going for you. Yeah, but I never I never cleaned it for somewhere around about a year. And I hit it with a, I hit it with a whole bunch of the alkaline brewery wash, and everything just came right out. Oh, that's Squeaky. excellent. Yeah. And then uh, when you're done using the Craftmeister, uh, we also make a, a BTF Iota 4 as our sanitizer of choice. Now, iodine is a tried-and-true, reliable, broad-spectrum, antimicrobial sanitizer. Uh, speaking of grungy carboys, uh, when I used to work in homebrew retail, I had a customer come in and say that a mouse had found its way into her carboy <laughs> and expired and rotted in there. Uh, yep, yeah, um, I know that experience. Yeah, uh, ended up uh, uh, cleaning it successfully with some of the National Chemical Products, Craftmeister, and BTF Iota 4, and still made successful beer in that vessel. So you know, man, and I find myself going back to Iota 4. It's like you know, it was the sanitizer I started with, and I tried some of the other trendy stuff. Sure. And I'm I'm back to Iota 4 now because it's really really effective and easy to use, and I just you know. For me, it's like the proof is in the use. Oh, I agree 100%. I've been talking to a lot of people that have stopped by our booth over there and um, uh, just talking to people about just the broad spectrum of things it's capable of killing, such as yeast and wild yeast, uh, spore-forming bacteria like anthrax and botulism, uh, lacto, pedio, brett, um, any number of things, bloodborne pathogens. Oh, is it capable of killing the tiger mosquitoes that have infected my backyard? Once they're dead, sure. <laughs> I was going to say, man, it's nice to know that I'm safe from anthrax. Yep, yeah, I can't make that killer beer, you know? <laughs> oh, killer Ooh. beer. Ooh, that's bad. <laughs> I, don't know, I just feel like a bunch of heavy metals around here. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and, and some, some cool history about National Chemicals. We are a family-owned business. Uh, National Chemicals is located in central Minnesota, in Lewiston, Minnesota, uh, right on the Mississippi River and the border between Wisconsin and Minnesota. Uh, we are now in our third generation of family ownership, uh, and uh, it's great to work for a family-owned independent business. That's really cool, man. And, and we've done some really interesting things way back in the day that a lot of people kind of lose sight of. Our BLC, the beverage system cleaner that we yeah. make, uh, our, my boss's dad developed that with Anheuser-Busch in the late 60s. <laughs> wow. It, it really does a number. Oh, yeah, it yeah. really strips it's everything incredibly out. incredibly effective. Yeah, BLC beverage system cleaner was the first brewery-approved liquid caustic line cleaner in existence. That's uh, so, also what all your what you should be encouraging all your draft rooms to be using. Oh, absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, yeah, BLC is uh, now more so used in the homebrew market for cleaning jockey bo- uh, boxes, short draw systems, that sort of thing. We make stronger, more commercial products that will really melt your face off. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't think you want to trust most homebrewers with those. No, <laughs> no, no. And uh, I, I did mention uh, behind the scenes here that we are working on some super secret research projects. Uh, one of those things uh, is pertaining to making those super powerful face-melting products much more safe. 
Well, that'd be That's right. great, man. So you can get even even more effective cleaning without having to worry about melting your fingers off. Exactly. There's a, a huge degree of liability in the commercial beer lining and uh, cleaning industry for people that rely on strong caustics and acids to clean beverage systems. <laughs> and we're doing something to change that in the very near future. Well, and, uh, like I said, even for like, yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, there's a lot of risk in there in the commercial market, but those guys in theory have been trained and mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, personal protection equipment at all times, etc., etc. Yep. And, you know, most homebrewers wouldn't know where to find a po- pair of gloves if their life depended upon it. <laughs> Which, in the case of some of this stuff, it does. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So uh, even a company that's over seven years old, we're continuing to innovate and develop new products, and uh, that's where we're working right now. Uh, some of that may impact the homebrew market in uh, the, the coming uh, years and months, but uh, uh, for now, uh, we're focused on highly effective, safe products with Kraftmeister and BTF Iota 4 Man, and highly effective is, like, where it's really at with you guys. I find your cleaners are just so much better than anything else I've tried. Uh, you know, it, I, I can't go back to anything else. That's why I keep writing you and saying, hey, I need more of this stuff. <laughs> and I'm happy to send it to you. So. <laughs> the, the first taste is free, folks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, really. No, but, I'm, you know, there's a good chance you can find Craftmeister products at your local homebrew store, so go check them out. And if you can't find them there, tell the store that they should get some because you want to try them. That's right. Yeah, sometimes uh, homebrew stores, there's so many products out there. You've been through the expo hall here. There's so much stuff that would just exceed the capacity of most homebrew stores. But uh, if enough people really want the stuff and ask for it by name and continue to buy it is the big thing, uh, that would really help them out. Yeah, right. That's true. Okay, John. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today, buddy. It's always good to see you. We don't get to go out and go to Pock Pock enough anymore. Oh, yeah. Next time I come to Portland, we'll do it up again. All, all right? right, man. I'm ready. I'm ready. So am I. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, man. See you later, buddy. Thanks, guys. Jared, why don't you come over and talk to us? Slide in there. <laughs> We're uh, going to be having a word here with Jared Runyon from Country Malt Group Brewcraft. And I guess uh, one, one of the big questions I have for Jared is, who the heck are you these days? So, yeah, uh, that's a big question a lot of people are asking lately. Um, recently, you may have seen that uh, Brewcraft and Country Malt merged. Um, so now uh, we are going into the homebrew market uh, as Country Malt Group Homebrew. Okay. So, um, uh, we're still the great company you've worked with before, but now because we're sort of uh, combining our companies, we're able to use all of the benefits of uh, how we work with commercial brewers and bringing some of those efficiencies to the home brewer market um, through retail stores. That, that's cool. So the home brewers are now going to have uh, access to some of the same products that commercial brewers do. Absolutely. And we're, we want to also present a cohesive brand to home brewers. So, you know, some of these home brewers turn into commercial brewers pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> so we want them to know that Country Malt Group is the brand they can trust um, to get them all of the products they need to be successful. So it looks like you guys have picked up some new products, too. Uh, why don't you tell us what's new? Yeah, so we've got a couple things uh, here in the, the display here at the booth. Um, the Genesis you've probably seen uh, in previous yeah. years, so we're, we're definitely pushing that still. And I, I love my Genesis. Yeah, getting that out there because it's uh, especially that inner liner makes 
cleaning, really simple. Uh, you just brew in the bag, and then after you rack out, you just throw the bag out. You don't have to worry about cleaning at all, but I don't. And I think Jonathan wants me to talk about that. Uh. <laughs> well, I think there's the important tip that we were talking about yesterday with the bag. Yeah. Because we've, uh, you know, we've talked to some people, and I've had the experience myself. And like, okay, you're trying to set that bag up in, inside the, the fermenter, mm-hmm. and it twists, and it doesn't quite open up correctly. Mm-hmm. But you said there's a really stupid hack. Yes. Um, you just uh, sort of unfurl it uh, before you get in there. You just kind of... Well, actually, no. What was it I specifically said? Because You said no lid. <laughs> I said what? No lid. No lid. Oh, yes. Yes, that is uh, that's something that a lot of people do. Um, and it's uh, something we wish we'd put in the instructions when we got them uh, printed. <laughs> so, in other words, if you look at the bag, the bag is designed to screw... I mean, it has a screw top. Yep. And it makes it very seated into that lid that's on the top of the, the Genesis. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, if you're screwing it in, a lot of times you can accidentally twist the bag and it makes it really hard to fill. But your, your advice was... No, just go and put the bag into the fermenter and kind of un- and make sure it's unfurled, and then fill it, let it expand naturally. Don't try and tie it, tie it in the lid. Nope. And then jam a hose in it as a blow-off tube and go. Yep, yep. That's one way people have done it, and they have had wild success with it. Yeah, man. Uh, actually, that's what I did. Uh, yeah. I had I had the terrible time the first time. Yeah, I, I got in touch with either you or Brian, and you guys told me that, and it's like, well, duh. How stupid am I? No, it, uh, we have heard that from so many other people, and we just we're working on getting that message out there still. There cool. So mm-hmm. message broadcast. Yes, exactly. So, uh, but beyond the Genesis, uh, we of course have the mash and boil here. Um, uh, you may have seen that the mash and boil now comes uh, with a version that has a pump. That's um, great. So that's makes it even even easier and simpler. Um, so that's here. Uh, another thing that we're pushing is. Uh, on the part of the grandfather crew, uh, their glycol chiller system is now finally here in the states. Drew and guys. I have both been using it's them. Finally oh here! Oh <laughs> my God, I love it. Man. Yeah, it's yeah. So, so that's actually going to be uh, coming to homebrew shops like right now. Great. Like we got into our warehouses just a couple weeks ago, so it's going to be it's going to be shipping out. I, I love it so much that I'm buying a second fermenter to use with it. You know, must have system. Yeah, it, it's really nice. Yeah, and and to give you guys an idea, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit before on the podcast, but it is a standalone glycol unit that can chill down and control four separate fermenters. So if you're crazy pants and you got four of the fermenters, it can run glycol out to all those and. I mean, I think, I'm trying to remember, the lower limit, I think, is it goes all the way down to, like, 40 degrees? 35. 35? Okay. But, I mean, and that's even in the middle of a stupid hot garage. Mm-hmm. It will it will do that. So, like, I know one of the other products that you guys have here that we've talked about in the past is the brew jacket. Yes. And we both really like the brew jacket. Yeah. But the, my problem is I brew in a garage in Southern California, which means... The brew jacket can drop things 30 to 40 degrees, I think, at the most. Yep, that's right. Which means that... For Drew, that puts him in the 90s then. Yeah, I mean, during the (laughs) the height of summer, I can't brew with that. So, but the glycol system, I totally can brew with. So that's awesome. And it's, I mean, it's so trouble-free, too. I mean, you can program in the whole fermentation schedule right on the fermenter itself. I, uh, I put down a Belgian Golden Strong just before I left here, programmed in five days at 63... Four days at 74, two weeks at 35. By the time I get home, it will be pretty much done and ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, just 
put one more plug in here, and then you can get on to the next person. Um, we've got a couple new malts that are starting to hit the market. Oh, great. Um, you maybe have heard about the Great Western Brew Malt, and right. uh, that's uh, made its rounds a little bit. Um, yeah, we're going to have we're having the Eagles uh, get ready to play with that. Yes, and we're very excited to hear back from them. Uh, we also have another thing that's uh, going to be hitting the market pretty soon, um, and it's a Dark Munich from uh, Great Western Malting. Um, it is a, uh, I don't want to talk about too much until it's actually in the shops, um, but it is, uh, according to the, the Great Western guys, it makes the best ruby color of their entire portfolio. So when they get us out there, it's going to be one of those you absolutely have to put in amber. Do you know what, what the color rating is? I think it's 20. Okay. Because yeah. the one that they've been making is like around 10 or so. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The, the normal Munich comes in at 10, and this is double that. Wow. And I, you know, for domestic Munich malt, that's my go-to malt, mm-hmm. that, that great Western Munich. Yeah. And it's, it's really a nice, tasty malt. Yeah. And, of course, we can't let you go with all, without also uh, simultaneously taking credit for and praising you for the party that we had the other night. Oh, yeah. Do I remember the party? Was I there? <laughs> I think we all were. Okay, yeah. It was it was great. Um, for everyone that was at HomebrewCon, uh, we always have our, our party the night before um, the expo starts, so usually it's a Wednesday. Um, and in the future, like we did this year, uh, we're going to be running the party right after the uh the, uh, the opening meeting, right. so, which usually ends at 6. Uh, it runs from 6 until about 10. And we're going to have buses that run from the convention center to the party and back all night. Those so. those buses were the key, man. It made Absolutely. it so easy for people to get there. And I saw so many people from last year from Portland's party that we had that everybody loved wearing those shirts. Yeah. And they'd come in and we'd give them the shirt for this party. And so we're going to make it a thing where... Bring last year's shirt and get a new shirt so you can build up your collection of shirts. Oh, cool. And you get a free beer, right? And you, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the Guild was such a great location. It was that perfect. courtyard mm-hmm. and the food trucks out there. Yeah, oh, we, we want yeah, <laughs> to give a big shout-out to the Guild and the band, too, because they really went out of their way yeah. to make this a killer party. It was spectacular. Well, yeah. when, when they closed their set, with Tenacious D's tribute. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was... Yeah, yeah. then you knew that this is a band that knows what they're doing. Exactly. But it was a wonderful time. People have been coming up and, and thanking us for hosting such a wonderful party. And we've been both taking credit and then also <laughs> trying to simultaneously go, no, no, not us. All we did was talk. That's right, yeah. yeah. But you guys did an amazing job and it was a fantastic party. Mm, thank you very much. Iterations. Yes, Nashville is going to be... Uh, it's going to be an exciting time. I can't wait, man. There should be some really good venues for parties there. Absolutely. All right, Jared. Thanks a whole bunch for joining us, Yeah, man. thanks, Danny and Drew. Thank you. Okay, we're going to play a little bit of music here while we figure out what we're going to do next. We're going to be right back. This episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publisher of none other than Simple Home Brewing by two guys named Denny Kahn and Drew Beecham. Maybe, just maybe, you've heard of them. If you want to streamline your brew day, make great beer, and have a blast in the process, head over to BrewersPublications.com and buy a copy of Simple Homebrewing. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. 
the Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. All right, we are back, and uh, thanks for sticking around. Our guest right now is going to talk about something that most homebrewers would consider heresy, but something that Drew and I have been really getting into recently. So, Chris, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm uh, Chris Saunders from Escarpment Labs in Guelph, Guelph Ontario. Uh, is that how you say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's apparently, uh, we had uh, someone who introduced us during our talk, didn't, uh, couldn't pronounce it either. They also pronounced it as Guelph. Uh, which I loved. I enjoyed it so much. Uh, but yeah, so you're not the only one. Admittedly, I'm a complete idiot, so I would have totally said. <laughs> it, it's, it's weird, right? So yeah, so I'm up in the, the Canada's first uh, liquid yeast lab, and we've been uh, we've been supplying yeast to the Canadian and starting to get into the international market for three, four years now. Well, and you guys have a reputation for a lot of. Interesting. Yeah, and Richard, Richard's really f- like he's like internet famous. He's known really well, and he's been like going to a lot of stuff. Uh, he worked with uh, Lars on mm-hmm. getting a lot of the Kvike over here, right? right? And he did a lot of research with that. So it's uh, it's a really it's a really cool lab that's been doing a lot of fun stuff. Okay, now listeners to the podcast will know that I just recently did an interview all about non-alcoholic craft beer and how there is like a big. Well, I mean, it is a big movement for other people trying to explore healthier alternatives to just regular beer. Yeah. And so I know that one of the, the frustrating things for listeners of the podcast was the the folks that we were talking to were very circumspect about their process because it's proprietary and they've invested a lot of money and time. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I, so I had a lot of people going, dude, that's really cool, but... I, I want to know how to make it. And then yeah. you reached out and said, hey. I, I've done I've done a little bit of work on it. So um, I've done some research into it. There's uh, a bunch of ways to make DLK. I call it DLK. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's shorter. So one of, the, one of the ways is that I've been taking an approach to is it's sort of an engineered approach. I sort of design my uh, grain bill to give me the body I want. And then I use glucose or dextrose mm-hmm. as my fermentable. So I get my minor amount of alcohol from that. So far, it's been semi-successful. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of hit or miss, and I need to still dial it in. But that's one of the ways I've done it. Um, I have uh, one of the clubs I'm a part of, uh, the True Grist group up in Kitchener-Waterloo. One <laughs> of the guys there, it's a wonderful name. One of the guys there, German Chris, uh, he made what he did is he made a regular alcohol beer and then uh, boiled off, uh, heated it up to 80 degrees Celsius to, mm-hmm. to pull off all the alcohol and then he did a whirlpool at that 
to make it to add all the yeah, hop flavor into it. it. And it was amazing. Like the only comment we had regarding is that there was a bit of a like meaty character. Mm -hmm. So what we think you need to do is whenever you're done your fermentation, crash it out and then filter it to remove all that that yeast so that you don't end up autolyzing the yeast right. and then releasing all the that Getting meaty all that goodness. Nice yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then so I've been working with a brewery to do uh, production of uh, alternative yeasts. So they've been wanting to get into the DL game, and they are using a strain that is... It's a strain really common in Germany. It's called Saccharomycodes Ludwigi. So, and it's really cool. Underneath the scope, they look like little, uh, little lemons. They're pretty fun. Little, um, wait, little lemons? Little lemons. Oh, lemons. Little lemons, yeah. <laughs> yeah fruit. I, I, I was like picturing Karl Marx here. <laughs> well, so one of the strains, one of the strains I worked with is called uh, Cluveromyces marxianus. And <laughs> I have a little picture of Karl Marx above my desk. Someone came in, uh, uh, Breddy Fingers came in and saw that I had like K Marx, and he came in and like put a little sticker on my desk of like Karl Marx, so I got him right above there. <laughs> um so yeah, that's uh, Saccharomycodes Ludwigi is a really popular one that a lot of German breweries use, um, but it's a pain in the ass to grow. It does not grow well. It does not flock well. So you're trying to like get it at a density to work with, and it's imp it's really really tough. So I spend a lot of my time figuring out how to grow that, like how to grow it and make it so we can do it for a commercial customer. Um, there are some other strains I've played around with. We played around with Cluveromyces marxianus and Brett C. But it turns out um, there's so there's that whole uh, why am I uh, Crabtree positive and Crabtree negative? Oh yeah. So what happens is uh, Ludwigi, whenever it's uh, whenever it's introduced to glucose, will do that little bit of fermentation. These other ones they start growing. So I did an experiment where I brewed I brewed the I brewed those three different beers, and then I bottle conditioned them, and you, you end up with fluffy bottoms. Like, I had, like, inch, inch and a half, like, yeast growth on the bottom. I opened up the bottle, and it just gushed everywhere. Oh. So, I think if you were to... But the first time we did the Brett C one, it was pretty tasty, but I think you'd need to go a pressure or a forced carbonation route with that. Um, so, oh, go on. I was just going to ask if you would walk us through how you make a Gialk beer from the recipe on. Well, and you have a sample. I do. I do have a sample. So this is my very, very quick attempt because I was like, oh, crap, Homebrew Con is coming up soon and I need to make beer. So I made it really quickly. So uh, this is a, I call, it's the uh, partial mash with, uh, or uh, steeped grain with extract approach. So I was like going back to my be getting into homebrewing roots with this one. Hey, um, and hopefully it survived well. I, had to, I tried for, uh, counter pressure bottling this and it did, not, it did not go well. So I had to package it from a keg. So I'm hoping that it's not super, super oxidized. Um, so what I did is I've been playing around with the lighter crystal malt. So it's more of a West Coast-ish pale ale. Um, and so I steep them for half an hour. Uh, it's crystal, uh, crystal 10 and crystal 60, I think, and maybe a little bit of dextrin malt. And then I, once that's done, I add 250 grams of dextrose as my fermentable. So what that what I'm doing is I'm basically trying to dial in the body and then I ferment and then I have the, the dextrose as the actual fermentable to create a little bit of alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, this one ended up uh, I fermented it with English two. Uh, I don't know what the White Labs or Y yeast equivalent is, but it's it's the other chunky English strain that's not as chunky. Um, I fermented it with that and it ended up being about one percent. 
Okay, so uh, this is a 1% beer. And it was whirlpooled with uh, 15 grams of Eldorado, 15 grams of Mosaic, and 15 grams of Simcoe. It's got a real grain flavor to it. Well, there, there's grain, and there's also a lot of uh, flowers and that kind of waxy honey character. A little bit, yeah. And so it, it's interesting, because, I mean, I think some of that's oxidation. I think you're right. Probably. Um, but there, there's... I don't... I, I don't feel like this is quite dialed in. Oh, 100% not. But there is there is a very interesting idea there that I think yeah. gets you into that territory. And again, I, I mean, it doesn't feel like it's a 1% beer. No, it's like uh, I shared it with some of my coworkers, and one of the guys uh, that had it was like, I don't, like, this isn't an insult, but it's, uh, this is better than some of the regular strength pale ales I've had in Ontario. So, you know, it's <laughs> better than the worst, so I guess that's something. <laughs> Man, that goes right back to my motto, it doesn't suck. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's something I would enjoy. Well, and, and to me, what it, it what it also feels like, it's just like when we talked to the uh, folks at Athletic, you know, there's, they were stressing that they were trying to do everything in their process so that it wasn't, like, super industrial. I mean, this feels very, very approachable and very easy for somebody to get to. Yeah, 100%. And that's, like, that's kind of what I, I want to do. Um, I'm trying to come up with a way that, you can you can easily do at home and doesn't it doesn't end up getting into that kind of mac, macro approach right. of doing the the dealkalization either via reverse osmosis or mm-hmm. uh, vacuum or distillation either, yeah. yeah so um, but it's been it's been a really fun fun process and we're working on it and we have like the the industry as a whole is getting interested into it because uh, aside from I'd say aside from like just being able to have something interesting, you also want people to come in and be like, oh, I'm a designated driver, and I still want to be able to enjoy something. And uh, the other big thing is, in Ger- like, uh, my wife and I went to Germany back in uh, like last year, and every, almost every brewery we went to had an alcohol-free option on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until we got to Stiegel, which is in Austria, but it wasn't until we got to Stiegel where we actually tried them. We are like, this is kind of cool. Like, I want to play around with this. This is super, super interesting. Well, to me, I think one of the more useful parts is not just, uh, you know, I think a lot of people think, oh, if you have alcohol-free beer, then that's the only thing they're having. But uh, to me, it's kind of nice to have it as the, the thing to have in between having beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, tur- it, like, you're, it helps you marathon better. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, could, I mean, could you imagine, you know, I mean, here at HomebrewCon, everybody's always like, don't forget to drink your water. Drink your water. Drink your water. Right? Yeah. yeah. And everybody stresses the idea of water in between everything. And it'd be nice to be able to say, okay, well, I don't want to have water, and I don't want people to look at me and go, oh, Drew's obviously hydrating. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to have yeah. somebody where it's like, hey, cheers. Yeah, 100%. Like, and I did I did bring more of this. I think, I'm trying to remember who it was, but there's a club who has invited me and I think some of us other Canadians to go over and uh, hang out with them because we don't have a Canadian club this year. So I'll be serving up some of this if people want to try it. Um, it's interesting. That's where I'll put it. Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree. I think, yeah, I think that you have a great concept here that bears more experimentation. Oh, 100%. It's definitely not dialed in. And it's uh, it needs uh, it needs more work, for sure. But it's a fun and it's a fun thing to work. Oh, and another thing they were talking, I just want to make sure we touch on this because it is super important. Um when you're brewing de-elk, you need to be really careful with your sanitation because there's nothing there to protect it, right? right? So one of the approaches is pasteurization, which you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Richard, you can uh, you can acidify. So uh, Richard was talking with a bunch of the brewers at the European Brewing Congress, uh, and they were saying one of the things you can do is you can make like a sour beer, like a dry hop sour beer, like dry hop dielk. Like that, like a dry hop DL pale ale sounds awesome. So you use that lacto to bring it down into a safe space where you don't have to worry about right. those enteric bacteria getting there and making you sick. Like I've had a few bottles where I, and I'm like, I'm like, this is bottle condition. I'm still a little bit nervous because I'm like, am I going to give myself some, some gastro issues later on? So it's, it's a big thing is either do like a hot water bath to pasteurize it or... Yeah, do something with your with your chemistry to make sure that it is below that 4.5 level to be safe for consu- for for consumption without pressurization. Yeah, that was one of that that was one of those things that the athletic guys stressed me is like food safety is a real issue here because you don't huge. have any alcohol. Yeah, huge. And well, I had an issue, so I tried to bring some to the Reddit meetup yesterday, and there's no alcohol, so it freezes really quickly. Oh, so nice. I, had it, I had it freeze in my fridge by mistake, and I was like, oh no. So Oops. yeah. <laughs> All right, so now you have one more, right? It's the same one. I just brought two. All right. Um, but yeah. Well, no, but I think I think this was re- really interesting. I think it shows that there is a path forward for homebrewers to be able to do this. It's yeah. better than taking a beer and boiling off the alcohol, which is what you always Yeah, 100%. Homebrewers. And like, that's one of the things we're trying to do at the lab is um, the big thing with the ma- like those big approaches is they're expensive. Right. And if you can use yeast, which is, even though yeast liquid yeast commercially bought is still expensive. It's still cheaper than making a $250,000, $300,000 investment in a piece of equipment. So and, and, I mean, frankly, most of those beers that I've had that go through that vacuum distillation process, they taste like they've been through a vacuum distillation Yeah, process. a lot of, a lot of uh, commercial dealk is... It leaves a lot to be desired. It's yep. unfortunate, which hopefully we will see, like with Athletic and in Canada we have Partake. With a lot of these places, it's starting to become a thing, and we'll we'll hopefully see that become more of an offering for people. Absolutely. I think this is great. Now, guys, anybody out there, uh, were, were you surprised by the taste of the, the alcohol-free beer or the DL? Anybody, did anybody go, eh? I mean, obviously, we, we said there are some issues with it, but you don't you don't have to you can you can be honest. I'm I'm fine with that. <laughs> well, there you go. But I I do think it's it's an interesting concept, and I think it's well worth people playing around with, particularly if you can get down to a place where homebrewers can really play around with. Yeah, Chris, keep us in the loop as you. Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we, right. I, I definitely feel like we'll be revisiting this topic with some more formal boundaries around it. Just yeah, to totally. Talk about it. And I appreciate you taking the time to not only bring it, but also sit down here with us and give it a, give it a shot. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. We have been joined by Daryl from Atlantic Brew Supply. Uh, Daryl got in touch with us before the conference and said, hey, we'd love to run an experiment with you guys. So... What can we say? We did it. Yeah, I mean, after all, we are experimental homebrewing. Really? So, um, Drew, why don't you run down what's going on here? All right. Well, so what we did over the past couple of days here was uh, Daryl and company at Atlantic Brew Supply, remember, uh, sponsors of the Brew Files. Thank you so much. Uh, they volunteered to do this experiment, and they've been pouring two different beers over in their booth, which is literally right behind us. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we are right there. So uh, they've been pouring out of the jockey box, giving people the three glasses, red, green, blue. And here's a Google form. And, hey, by the way, which one do you think was different? And, uh, I mean, just to put it out there, so we can say, 
the difference was, or, or wait, should I actually say what the experiment was? Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the experiment was we poured two different triples, and the difference was one of the triples was made with simplicity candy sugar. Yep. And the other one was straight up table sugar. So there you go. So the question out there is whether or not tasters could tell the difference between a triple that was infused with candy syrup. Again, remember the simplicity is the clear stuff, right? So, and that's always been a big question that I've had is like looking at it going, why do you really want to use the clear syrup? Yeah, you know, because it seems like it does everything that you get out of sugar. Like the dark candy syrups, I totally get. You know, because those bring so much flavor to the table. Yep. But the the question's always been, is there a difference between clear candy syrup and regular sugar? And, Denny, what, what did you expect? Well, you know, when we first uh, conceptualized this experiment, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be so obvious, right? <laughs> you know? I think I think we all kind of thought that, you know? You would think that. Yeah, that, that you'd be able to just obviously pick out the candy syrup. Uh, and I'll tell you right now that Drew and I were both wrong trying to identify the odd beer. Uh, I know I know one person, Brad Ring, the editor of BYO, got it right on. Well, he's three for three this year, so yeah, he doesn't count. That's right. He's done three blind tastings this year, and he's gotten everyone right. So he's one of those people that we hate. Well, and so, Terrell, tell, how did the, how was the beer made? So we are lucky enough to be connected to a 30-barrel commercial brew house. Uh, so the triple was our, was hell yes, ma'am, our somewhat Belgian triple that uh, is produced and sold by Raleigh Brewing. So we just got 10 gallons of that, ran it off, 1068, uh, split it into two buckets, and pitched Saison uh, Stein's Monster from Omega Yeast. Yep. Let it roll. And let, let it roll. And I think yep. you said it was the the temperature control on it was at first it was just kind of they were both kept at like say 65. It was, it was room temperature. Okay. So probably somewhere in the 70s. All right. Uh, they stalled a little bit at uh, about 10:20, mm-hmm. and then I moved them to the very hot, very humid North Carolina <laughs> brewery, uh, and they finished out about 10:10 mm-hmm. when I packaged. All right, and that, and you guys brought both kegs here. Now you told me when you when you first tried the beers, you 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 felt like you could tell the difference. Definitely. All right. And but when we were here, you couldn't. Right. I, I tried them yesterday. I felt like they were very very similar. All right. And Denny, what about you? You I mean, how confident were you in your answer? I was. I would say that I was semi-confident. <laughs> yeah. I, when I, I thought that I could tell. I mean, I knew the nature of the experiment, you know, so it wasn't a totally blind tasting for me. And I had expected to have the one with the candy syrup in it, like kind of have a richer taste, a, a, a fuller taste, I guess. And so I made one of those beers <laughs> conform to my preconceptions. And there was a richness that I felt like I noticed, you know, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but but the beer that I noticed it in was the wrong one. <laughs> right. Of course. So I'm going to put the results out here. I have not calculated a p-value on this because I don't think there's a need to have a p-value on this. The results were almost perfectly random. 
We had, so, we had 55 responses. Yeah, 55 responses. Which one is right, red, green, or blue? I picked red. I picked red. You picked red. And, you, and of course, you, you were poor. I knew everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we were both wrong. <laughs> yes, we were. The well, right answer. Have, as a matter of fact, we have a perfect record of being wrong. Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, the beer that was different was actually blue. Blue was the different one. And of the responses, 27.3% of the people chose the one that Denny and I did, red. 40% of the people chose green. And exactly 32.7% of the people chose blue. And if you know anything about your statistics and probability, 32.7% is pretty much a third, which is exactly what you'd expect from random chance of choosing from three glasses. You could, you could flip a coin and get the same results. So, what that means is very, very clearly, by the majority of the tasters here, they could not tell the difference between a beer made with the candy syrup, uh, the clear candy syrup, and the beer made with just plain old sugar. Now, we did have one person here who got it correct. Mickey, why don't you come sit down for a second, and uh, one, who are you, and how did you do it? Hi, uh, am I on? Yep, you're on. Uh, I'm Mickey Fanny. I work with Daryl. Yeah. I did not look at what he was doing. In fact, I wondered what he was doing all day, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so part of our business involves commercial equipment. I work on that side. I work with breweries, very much more mechanical than uh, ingredient focused. So I'm, I know how to make beer. I've made homebrew plenty of times in my life, but uh, going down to define differences is definitely not my bailiwick. So um, I chose blue, mm-hmm. and I think the first thing I said to Daryl was like, "Why did you put sugar in this?" Because <laughs> <laughs> it was all awful beer. Like it was all I could all taste. It. it was like something that comes out of our brewery, but not all of it is good. And this one feels like he just put sugar right into it. And you, um, you are being recorded. You know? <laughs> I didn't say that. No, the, 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 this will be uh, considered in your evaluation the, the, anyway. The primary beer is delicious. It's when you start adding more sugar to it is the problem. <laughs> so now. You're saying that, I mean, when you tasted it, to you it was like, hey, this is sugar. This has got sugar, yeah. I mean, immediately. Um, it might be because in the last year I've eliminated added sugars to my diet mm-hmm. as part of just an overall health and wellness kind of thing. So I definitely feel like maybe I have like a sugar intolerance perhaps. Or, or it just really it really stands it out. It stands out because I don't have it as much as I used to maybe. But I would, I would say that's a very... Educated guess. <laughs> right. So it, and uh, so, but when you when you put it in blue, you were like, "Yep, yeah, I know." This, this one's definitely different. Oh yeah. Interesting. So it's very very interesting to see that big level of confidence there. Yeah. Uh, now, let me ask you then, because you felt like blue had the sugar in it, were you a bigger fan then of uh, of red and green as a beer? Would that would that be your preference between the two? I mean, if you were to give me those three and say which do you want to drink, I think they all tasted similar enough that I don't think it would affect, like, sales or anything else. It's just you could taste that they were slightly different, and then there was that difference there. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, of quality, I don't think it was enough to, and your, it sounds like your results prove it. There's not really enough to say, oh, you should choose this, you know, X over Y. You should choose, you know, just regular sugar over 
this other one because, you know, if you're looking, and I tend to think on a commercial scale, if you're looking at where can we go in an ingredients and materials cost and say, all right, well, if we were to play out this experiment and this continue, then it could be that we could substitute this type of sugar for mm-hmm. a more expensive sugar. There you go. All right, perfect. Well, thank, uh, thank yeah. you for lending us your, your palate and, and correctness. Oh, yeah, that's like a one-time thing. <laughs> Cherish it. I'm still not correct on any of these things. That's right, man. We missed right. every single one. Thank you very much, guys. Daryl, thank well, you so much. Well, we do have one more opinion that we have to get. Oh, we do. Okay, great. Because we did apparently mess up somehow in this experiment. So introduce yourself. Um, I'm Katie Kinnaird. I am faculty at Smith College. Uh, and I do teach statistics and data science, so when people Uh-oh. are talking about p-values, it makes me a little nervous. Yeah. I did not know this. <laughs> um, I also got it wrong. Um, I also chose red, but um, I was really surprised because I was just told originally the instructions were to pick the beer. And then I get to the Google form, and they're like, now explain your answer. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you wanted me to show my work, you should have told me that before I started drinking the beers. Uh, and I, th- I think the, the fallacy here is that you're applying uh, academic principles to the beer world. Well, I just, I, I guess I felt that horror my students feel when they don't read the directions that say show their work, except the directions I were given were limited, but I was like, oh my God, this is why they get so upset, even though it says show your work in bold in several places. And, and, and to be clear, the person who was uh, giving the uh, incomplete instructions was me. I wasn't going to name names. Oh, no, I'm, look, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly proud of my track record of being an idiot. Um <laughs> But I, I did have I did have to think. So when you when you tasted this, how confident were you in your answer? Super confident. Super, Super confident. I knew it was red, hundred percent. It's definitely red. It wasn't just because that was my class color when I was at school, but it was definitely red. Right. And and then later when I was told I was wrong, I was like, Are you sure? <laughs> well, and this is this is always the biggest problem that we have with doing these triangle tests, any kind of sensory evaluation. Uh, I was talking with uh, Chino yesterday, and, and I made the joke. It's like, you know, being wrong is two-thirds of the point, you know, with, with these things. And it, it really is, but the problem is it's so hard for the tasters out there because you want to be right. You want to have faith that you're going to do this right. And then when you find out that, particularly on a test like this, where we where we were gunning for a, you know, sort of a failed result here, um, it's super hard because people are like, what? No. 40% of the people chose the wrong beer in one group, and another another 30% chose the other one. It was like, uh, I mean, that was pretty astonishing. So. But it's important to set up these moments where we can fail and grow from them, right? Failure is an important part of the next step of success. Exactly, yeah. It, yeah. I, I'm a great success at failing. You yeah. know, we all need to find our place. <laughs> but... I, I had to laugh because you, you, know, you did have that that funny reaction. Like the second you saw the form, you were like, "Like, uh oh, I've done something wrong here, terribly wrong." But, well, but, but I appreciate you taking the time to also not denigrate us on statistics, and I'm glad I didn't calculate a p-value for this. Uh, <laughs> but I am glad that the results were so completely pure and random. So, yay, go team! Thank you, Katie. <laughs> thank you. And, Daryl, thank you, man, for putting this experiment together and doing it. No, thank you. It's a great time. I mean, it is, and it just proves how difficult it is to, like, pick out a different beer in a triangle test, right? And don't forget that uh, folks can always go to Atlantic Brew Supply 
and buy their ingredients. After all, you guys do sponsor the uh, the brew files, and we have a discount code on the website for your first order, Experimental Brew. So if you go to uh, if you go to AtlanticBrewSupply.com, right? AtlanticBrewSupply.com, code word Experimental Brew, and you'll receive a discount on your first order. Go buy. Thank you, sir. We're going to play some music here for a second and let Stan Hieronymus slide in to talk about hops. Mechagrade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. Their eighth generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve Mechagrade. For more information, please visit mechagrade.com. back. Thank you for sticking around. Last segment. <laughs> we've been joined by Mr. Stan Hieronymus. Stan, it's always such a great pleasure to see you, man. I, I, it's more exciting for me to see you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very nice of you, but uh, we know the truth. Yeah. Uh, Stan just got done a few minutes ago giving a talk about hops, and uh, the description is, how should you use a hop you've never heard of? Why are New World hops different? What's a thiol? How come nobody warned us about hop creep? And those are some of the things that we want to talk about today. Um, what I want to know is, what the hell is a thiol? A thiol is a sulfur compound. So you, you think about hop oils, uh, it, it, depending upon the variety, up to 60 or 70% are the hydrocarbons. Right. And, and that's what you see listed, uh, uh, have been in hop catalogs forever. So Looks that's like... like Mercy, yeah. Uh, uh, geraniol is that's oxygenated. Okay. Um, but uh, caryophylline, uh, humulene is listed, um, and myrcene obviously, and farnesine, which is mostly a genetic marker. So if it's higher in farnesine, then it's more likely to be have more European heritage. Okay. So that those are and and those lists are only a little bit useful because those boil off like crazy. Um, and so, what, what persists in the beer is the oxygenated compounds, and then 1% is the thiols. And, and that those are mostly unique to hops with American heritage. So that those weren't used at all for most of the history of hops, and, right. and people like what were called noble hops. Um, and then when they began to use American hops, for instance, in breeding and the bitterness, they would still say... We do not like the smell of this hop. It was uh, they came from Manitoba, and they'll talk about a, a, a Manitoba tang, and nobody liked really? that. And not until that we're talking the last less than 30 years that people have accepted this aroma that we have now embraced. Well, I mean, I mean talking like Brits, you know, like 20 years ago when I went overseas there. Yeah, they they would all they would all complain about the characters of American hops. Yes, and they're catty and they're this and that. Right. And, and, 
And, and yeah, now of course it's like, woo, we yep. rule. Yeah. Um, and but they can still be catty. Yes, they can. So you also said that people were going to vote for the most important pop ever. I'm curious how that went. Well, my time management was horrible. Um, <laughs> so the vote was rather rushed, and we were only voting on the hops that they chose to talk about. Right. So curiously, the winning hop turned out to be Cluster. Hmm. Wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> it, it was a major... Uh, 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 like Saz went out in the first round, I was heartbroken. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's especially interesting in, in the fact that... Uh, Yakima Chief right over there now has their cluster fudget blend. I'm, I'm it, saying it's like it's, it feels like clusters having a moment. Yeah, because everybody wants apparently black uh, blackberries and captain. Well, it, it, uh, thinking about your neighborhood, uh, Danny, you, you think of now everybody's in love with all these things Block 15 does. Right. And and the first year of operation, they there was only one hop they could get. And that was cluster. You're kidding! Really? <laughs> I mean, they they used a lot of cluster that first year, right. and and we're making beers with with hop character that people appreciated. You didn't realize that you could do that when you use it late, or in a dry hop. Then you begin to get those other unique uh, compounds. Wow! You know, and I had I had no idea, and uh, I, I I block 15 frequently, and I have been since the beginning. So I just. Well, they use about every other variety on Earth now. Yeah, well, tell me about it. <laughs> well, now they got their contracts, right? Yeah. So, uh, one of the other things that I wanted to talk about was Hop Creek, because it's, that's a really hot topic in the homebrew world. Anytime somebody has a beer that uh, over-attenuates on them, everybody goes, oh, yeah, it's Hop Creek, it's Hop Creek. But well, it, it isn't always. Funny. Well, particularly funny since we've only started talking about Hop Creek in, like, the last two years. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. Well, but apparently now it's the big bugaboo. Yeah. Um, well, two parts. You talk about being over-attenuated, and you also talk about diacetyl. Right. Um, and so if, uh, which people didn't realize at a homebrew level that you, you could package this beer and it tasted great to you. You sent it off to a competition, and you got a score sheet back that said it was diacetyl, and you go, how could this happen? Um, and it is because there are enzymes in the hops that will continue to create maltose and glucose. Right. And then the yeast interact with those, um, ferment it a little bit more so you get more attenuation. They also create diacetyl again. And in this case, people finish the dry hop and they're going, I'm going to chill my beer now. And you don't give the yeast time to clean up the diacetyl. Right, right. And, you know, I was telling you the other day that I've been trying to make this happen because I really wanted to experience what the effects were, and I can't get it to happen, but it looks like it's probably due to my non-standard right. process. Yeah. Right? Well, I, 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 I don't know how non-standard your process is, but the, the fact it. that... that Look at well, it. Well, I, process I, is non-standard. Okay, yes. <laughs> no, I, that, that, there, there's this deep philosophical question that's just come up that I've, I've got to pause for for just a moment <laughs> Denny's, okay we can move on um, the you're removing yeast is what you're doing yeah, so yeah, you don't have the diacetyl yeah. and then you don't realize that it's, so you're not going to get that same level of attenuation over time those beers are going to continue to create sugar and you realize that if you dry hopped a barley wine and aged it a year right. it's going to have a lot more sweetness after a year I mean, my, my standard process is that uh, at the end of primary, I'll cold crash, rack to a different fermenter, 
dry hop there, and then after dry hopping, cold crash again. So probably I'm just removing so much yeast. And, and the, the, the process most people go through is to dry hop while the beer is still in primary, even while it's still fermenting to a certain degree, right? That's really well, that, the IPA. Yeah, well, that, that's the goal because people realize that you're, you are creating new, uh, a variety of fruity aromas and flavors, many of which we haven't identified yet. Right. Uh, but we understand that's going on through the process referred to as biotransformations. And those occur in two different ways. Some are chemical, so you can look at... And so we're talking mostly about markers. So I'm making yeah. it sound way simpler than it is because there are more than 500 compounds in the hops. But in those oxidized compounds, those include, say, geranial and linalool. So geranial, through biotransformation, is uh, transformed into citronellal. Citronellal has a lime flavor to it. Geranial acetate is uh, transformed into geranial. So you still got geranial in there, but it's different. Okay. Uh, and that's one of many things going on. We're creating a whole nother set of, of hop esters. A lot of them are below perception, but you put them together and you get something. And, and this all needs still to be mapped out. The challenge is it's going on its aroma, and that is the hardest sense to figure out. And, well, and, and then it's also going to be the most ephemeral, right? Like you don't yes. have much time to really get in there and, and dig this stuff out. Right. So, And I think that probably helps explain some of like how we talk about New England IPAs. That, you know, that, hey, don't let that thing sit in the can for more than two weeks. You know? like, get that thing out of the brewery and put it right in your face. Um, but there are, like, like at the other half, you know, their sense that it's going to change. Mm -hmm. If you do it right, it's going to be different, but it isn't going to turn to right. which many of them do. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but it, so you're not making New England IPAs, obviously. No, 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 I'm and, not. Uh, okay. Not making or drinking. Uh, I'm, I'm doing both. Yeah. So, but so is it the case that there are only certain varieties of hops and yeast that will exhibit this effect? Has anybody? I managed to find uh, out about uh, that. So at Oregon State University, they have looked at varieties, and, and, the, and the challenge right now, and it's a slide I showed, is um, prone to it, and I tend to forget which is which, um, but w one year, either 15 Amarillo or 16 Amarillo is really prone to hop creep, and the other year is one of the lowest creators of hop creep. So we, we have... So variety matters, we can see that, but it's how you kill that variety. So when you ask, so, so we've known about hop creep for more than 100 years. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we weren't paying attention for most of it because people, in a, and I did not speak this correctly, and Ron Pattinson corrected me when I'm going, people didn't dry hop like this before. They did dry hop at crazy levels, but not much in the 20th century. I was going to say, I, I'll, I mean, I've seen references, yeah, back in the 1890s and, and 1995 right. and, and, and that. But yeah, most of the commercial brewing where all that stuff was being paid attention, they weren't doing it. So, so when you had this serious pursuit uh, of science figuring these things out, which is post-World War II, then they weren't dry hopping like this. So we weren't looking at it before. But what's also changed is 
when we're picking those hops because brewers want more of these essential oils, more of the thiols, more of the oxidized compounds, and so they're kilning hops at a lower temperature. So maybe you denatured those enzymes before, and now you don't. Um, and then, and that's why the variety, maybe those amarillos, because you don't know where they came from, if you let them hang longer to create more of the oils, you're adding another variable. So that what we need to do, and, and there will be experiments this year, post-harvest, or during harvest, people looking at kilning temperatures right. when you pick them and begin to say what's going to make a difference there. So basically, the science is just kind of at the beginning. And the science is there because people are using hops differently than before. Yeah, right. Who, who knew that using an agricultural product that very few yeah. would be so frustrating? Yeah. <laughs> so what other fascinating hop things do people need to know about, be aware of when they're choosing hops to brew with? Well, I, I think biotransformations and, and the role of thiols is something that's still going to be examined. So much of our knowledge of thiols, because winemakers are already examined this, um, and you really see it in Sauvignon Blanc, and that is the importance of a couple of thiols known as 4-MMP or 4-MH, and there are many longer vowels and consonants to come after those big <laughs> letters. Um, and th- they were focused on that, but the things about wine are, of course, the winemakers, and theirs are really created by the interaction with yeast, they they have no qualms about using GMO yeast. Right. So, and that's not going to happen in beer. At least... Uh, it, I don't know. That, well, it actually is happening someplace. Yeah. Nobody, it's not going to happen and people will talk about it. Um, <laughs> I think so, that might be the case, yeah. yeah. Um, so, th- they were focused on that, and what, what they saw is, as they were creating more of this, more for MMP and and more 3MH is it wasn't quite filling out until they went back and, and recognized they needed those oxygenated compounds like linalool and geranium. So brewers kind of came from the other side. And like I said, those are only markers. As long as people are in, it could be brewed IPA, which of course brewed IPA is an example where you wouldn't have to worry as much about hop creep right. because you've taken, there's no RE. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be more interest in biotransformation. So what's inside of the hop? And you'll have more analysis of that. And people begin, uh, I was just talking to Steve Carpenter about what a nice hop nugget is. And people realize it, what makes it different and how they could use that. Chinook is another example of a, a great hop that we thought of just dry hop like with crazy, crazy with it and we'll get a lot of pine. And then you realize when you put it together with yeast, that's when you're getting create, uh, uh, creation of more tropical flavors, more fruity flavors, right. and things like that. So uh, two things happen. People are going to get excited about the next top variety, which I will say is going to be HBC 692 when it gets a name, which oh, is a really? daughter of Sabro. Um, but then also, how can I use all these other hops that were available before uh, to create interesting aromas and flavors? And... Now, when you were talking about Chinook, I was thinking that uh, 
some friends in Michigan sent me some Chinook that was grown there. And it smells like pineapple. Yes. It it's is not tiny at all. It's completely different than the Pacific yeah. Northwest. And, um, and, it, and uh, Chinook uh, grown in Connecticut is the same thing. Is it, it really? It's like the Michigan Chinook. So, so you know, it, it's not enough just to know what variety of hop you're using. you got to know where it comes from and take that into account. Yeah. Um, of course... A few years ago in New Zealand, they just renamed their Cascade hop because it's not like yes. Cascade. And now in Minnesota, Miniacs has renamed three. I mean, they've taken Zeus and given it a different name right. because they want to make clear that in Minnesota, it's a different hop. And there's some questions, is that good or isn't it good? Well, I, 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 I'd rather they just called it, I think, Minnesota Cascade. But people, and I showed a slide today cascade from six different regions and that's six different hops right exactly yeah i was in new zealand a little over a year ago i was at, at mac hops and uh-huh. talking to those people and they specifically mentioned how uh, when they grew cascade down there they had to rename it so it wouldn't confuse people you know who yeah. were expecting the traditional cascade kind of thing yeah well i mean i still remember that whole fiasco that happened when the first like hop shortage really hit and people were bringing in Argentinian cascades, which was like four years old. Yeah, and that, that, and people are going, this stuff is garbage. And I was in Argentina in '13, mm-hmm. and and of course their issue was getting any kind of yeast. Sure. So I, I brought back their cascade. Brought back. They only grow like five hops. One of them bullion, and it did suck. Um, but the other four hops, and made a bunch of beers, uh, dry hop using some liquid yeast that they can't get mm-hmm. and then they were back for World Beer Cup and they're going, hey, our hops are actually pretty good. <laughs> well, the, the, but I, the thing I remember was that like everybody was so disappointed, not, not just because of the age, but because of the characteristic of those cascades. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was like, yeah, and it's the same thing. It's like, like, well, that's not the cascade I know. Oh, yeah. And, and, but, but you can look uh, um, again, a study at Oregon State University and they were looking at just, just basic essential oil quantities across fields, like 18 fields in the Yakima Valley, and they varied quite a bit. Some of them almost 100%, and that's just in the amount of oil. Wow. agricultural products. Well, it's, it is, I mean, we shy away from the word terroir in part because the winemakers got control of it first, and, and second, I can recall, it, this was a long time ago at the Craft Brewers Conference and, and Sam Collagione and they're just talking about dirt, with the <laughs> idea, you know, what, what you're getting out of the soil, but it's not what you're getting out of the soil, it's, it's actually referred to as epigenetics, and that's, things change, methylated DNA changes things based upon the conditions it's in, so you can take... Um, a hop, for instance, take that rhizome as it grows in, in Washington State, plant it in Germany, it will be much different. You can pick it up from Germany, same rhizome. It's not changing the hop. You bring it back to Washington, it reacts the same way again. It's only changing. That, that's why wow. the, the underlying underlying DNA is the, chain, is the same. The characteristics change. And actually, this is there's much more research being done now with epigenetics and and methylated DNA in humans with the idea of finding a way to get cancer cancer that skips a generation sometimes. Therefore, that must be possible to get that to fool it and and leave all generations. 
I mean, that's amazing how, you know, a discovery in one area lends itself so well to something else. You know? So what we're saying is basically uh, we should continue to support hop research because it's going to make us all healthier. That's right, yeah. Hop research cures cancer. <laughs> Once again, I go back to my repeated argument. Beer. Is there anything it can't do? It hasn't made me any smarter. It hasn't made you any prettier either. <laughs> true, true. Stan, thank you so much for your time. Well, uh, thanks for uh, inviting me by. And as, as I don't know if you pointed off, but we're, we are right across from Yakima Chief Hops, yeah, oh, which yeah. means you can get a, a beer before you sit down with you. And now that I'm about out, it's time to leave. Have you tried the culture over there? I have Do they it. still have the coal Sean? I don't Maybe think so. Not. I don't see the coal Sean. Yeah. Nope. Oh, well. You can't go wrong with any of them. Okay. Sure. Well, thank, thank you, Stan. Stan. <laughs> and, I guess, thank you all for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, which is experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. I hang out on most of the beer discussion forums known to man. You can find Drew in the uh, homebrewing subreddit and the Slack homebrewing channel. And if you want to ask us a question, suggest topics, recipes, experiments, or even just rant and rave, and believe me, we got a lot of rant and rave, you can always email us at podcast and experimentalbrew.com. Or if you want to contact each one of us, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com, and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And, of course, you can always leave us a voicemail or text at 626-765-1AL. Be sure to tell us who you are. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky in Providence. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing.